0: Friends, welcome to season two of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting, or maybe something spooky, or maybe something just mysterious. Good evening, everybody. This is Terry from Texas, and this is Memorial Day weekend, the time that we salute those who have served this country and those who have given their lives for the safety of all of us. I'm not going to get real political about it, and I don't want anybody else to get political about it. I want to say that we honor those who have served and those who have died while serving. I come from a proud family of Army individuals. My father was in the Army, World War II. He was in the 2nd Infantry Division, took part in the D-Day invasion, took part in the Battle of the Bulge. He came home, or else I wouldn't be here. My oldest brother served in Vietnam as a combat infantryman in the 1st Division, the Big Red One. He was wounded after a few months in country. He came home, remained in the Army Reserve until he retired a few years ago as a Lieutenant Colonel. Proud of the men. My second brother went to Vietnam as a combat engineer, served his tour, came home. Unfortunately, life got the better of him and he ended up dying. My third brother served in the peacetime army and my fourth brother, the brother just older than me, was in the combat engineers, served in Germany, also a peacetime soldier. Proud of all my brothers and my father, Since it's Memorial Day weekend, I would like to tell you some stories. One of them happens during Vietnam at a place called the Marine 3rd Recon Battalion Base at a place called Dong Ha. Dong Ha was located on Highway 9, less than 10 miles from the DMZ. In these bases, quite often, the North Vietnamese would fire rockets into the bases using intel given to them by Viet Cong who worked on the bases and then this one particular incident a sergeant in the marine corps his name was james p henderson james p henderson had somewhat of a sense of when rockets were coming in and he started bellowing out the warning just before the camp went on alert so he grabbed his rifle he grabbed his steel pot and he grabbed his flak jacket and headed for the bunker that he was to occupy during an attack because sometimes after the rockets quit, the North Vietnamese would attack to check and see how disorganized, disoriented, or possibly how flattened the bases may have been. Well, Sergeant Henderson was nearly to his bunker and a rocket hit right behind him. The intense heat of the explosion, the pain of the shrapnel, and the concussion itself picked him up and threw him down like a rag doll. And he lay there, when his senses cleared somewhat he thought something was laying on him because he couldn't move and of course he was in intense pain from the shrapnel he was damaged seriously by this blast and as he lay there he realized that the rockets were walking their way through the base until suddenly there was silence after the silence started people in the base started responding to the rocket attack and going out checking wounded checking dead and he felt somebody kneel down beside him and turn him over and suddenly screamed for a a medic because he was injured in the head. So the medic came over and was really trying to work on him, screaming, don't you die, don't you die. Sergeant Henderson's pulse simply went away and the medic could do no more and declared him dead. Well, as with the deceased soldiers, Sergeant Henderson was put into a body bag and laid out on a line with the other decedents of the battle and unfortunately it became a long line. Well, there was a man who was responsible for identifying the bodies and setting them up for proper notification of family and and things like that. And I won't describe the method he used to do that because it's not pleasant. But here he unzips Sergeant Henderson's body bag and does what he has to do. Gets his dog tag, puts one in his pocket, and, and prepares the other one the way it's supposed to be. But I will say that in this process, he had to pierce Sergeant Henderson's ear in order to put a tag in, apparently. And suddenly, as he went to punch this hole in Sergeant Henderson's ear, Sergeant Henderson sat up a little bit looked at him and said, Hello. Now, if you've got a man who's been in a body bag for a while, and it doesn't say how long, but he sits up and says, Hello, somebody made a mistake luckily the man yelled for a corpsman, got him into medical treatment and then sergeant henderson was alive sometime later and many miles away a navy medical man comes in to present sergeant henderson with his purple heart sergeant henderson being a practical man well he was suffering from some damage to his vocal cords because of the shelling and if the back of his skull had been damaged and he had a steel plate put in he had some broken ribs from shrapnel, and he had shrapnel all up and down his legs and, and back. Well, they fixed all that, and he was getting better, but his memory was coming back slowly. But he could write notes. So when the doctor came in and gave him his medal, he said, Is there anything I can do for you? Well, the sergeant reached over and pulled the notepad over and wrote a note out, handed it to the doctor. The doctor laughed and said, Can do, sergeant. The commander of the hospital is who this was, thought about the note that the Marine had handed him and laughed. The note said, I guess I was so busy being dead I forgot my manners, sir. Please find out the corpsman's name who decided I didn't need to go to hell yet and buy him a case of whatever he drinks. Charge it to me and tell the squid thanks. James Henderson retired as a command sergeant major after 32 years in the Marine Corps. In some circles, a command sergeant major ranks up there on Olympus next to Zeus as a secondary god of thunder. However, before his long climb to the top of the enlisted ranks, Henderson put his time in on the line, serving nearly four tours in Vietnam. In his 44 months of combat service, J.P. Henderson earned a silver star for gallantry, a bronze star for heroism, six purple hearts, five significant single-mission air medals, 20 air medal mission awards, the Navy Commendation Medal, and various other awards and decorations. He also went through and completed the United States Army Ranger and Parachute Training and a number of other special warfare-related schools. It says he's a former Marine. Well, as we've heard a lot on TV, especially NCIS, and I know that's fiction, but once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. You're never former. You never used to be. You remain a Marine. You may be retired, but you're still a Marine. So this Marine, who is perhaps a Marine's Marine, James P. Henderson, came home and became a law enforcement officer in California. We honor you, James P. Henderson, for your service. Your duty. We welcome you home. My next story is simply a story. It doesn't have a star. It doesn't have a hero. It's just a story, but it's rather spooky if you listen to it. It was General Douglas MacArthur quoting an old song who said, Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. But what if they linger and refuse to go? What if they forget to die? Here's one story of a veteran's unusual encounter with an old soldier. In 1967, the young man dropped out of college to find himself, as so many did in that time. His draft board found him first, and soon he got a telegram that said, Greetings from the President. Now, obviously, the President of the United States did not know this young man, but his draft board did. He was sent to Seattle for an induction physical, Then he went to Fort Lewis to undergo BASIC and what is called AIT, Advanced Infantry Training, with thousands of others. After a few months of learning how to survive jungle combat in the cold rain and snow of Washington, he declined an offer to attend jump school or the 12-week NCO course. So he received orders for Vietnam. Well, this man went to Vietnam, served his time, came home, became a father, became a grandfather. And found out that a friend of his was a story writer for one of the military magazines. So he said, I got a story to tell you. He said that he wanted to tell this story because it was really unusual. It wasn't about a battle. It wasn't about heroism. It wasn't about the Superman that he was in Vietnam. But it was odd. He said, we were on a platoon recon just outside of Phan Thiet on the coast right on the South China Sea. It was in two corps, but it was almost into three corps' territory. It was near a place called Vong Tau. He said it happened in early 1968, and it was about a month after the Tet offensive. There in Small Valley, they found a trail to follow, and their platoon had to monitor this trail for enemy activity. Here's the soldier, and he's up because it was an uncomfortable night, and he took over a guard shift from four to six in the morning, did his commo check on the radio, and he sat back and waited to watch this trail. And he said, although a lot of people hated that particular guard shift, he liked it because he enjoyed the quiet and said he liked it when the sun came up over the mountains. And he said, but sometimes, it wasn't a happy time because pre-dawn attacks were one of the tactics that the Viet Cong and nva employed in other words hit them with their pants down there were a lot of times when those pre-dawn hours were full of a battle full of war but not this morning he's sitting there with his rifle he's watching the trail he had a clacker for a claymore a claymore is a mine anti-personnel mine it's like a big shotgun shell. They'd set that off and it would warn the rest of the of the guys that there was something going on. So he's watching it. He may be a little groggy because it's late at night, early in the morning. So he's he's kind of mostly there, but not quite. And he says while he's sitting there waiting, he looks up staring at the jungle and suddenly there was an old soldier right in front of him. Now he doesn't mean an old guy in fatigues and a, in a helmet. He means an old soldier. And it looked like the guy was standing out over the edge of the ridge in midair. And he thought, um, this isn't right. And he says that, of course, he doesn't believe his eyes because of the way the guy's dressed and the fact that he is hovering. The friend that he's telling the story to says, well, was he Charlie? Was he VC? Was he the NVA? or What? He said, no. He said he was something out of a gladiator movie. You remember where the old, the Romans had the the gold or brass chest plates and the red uniform shirts and the helmets with the horsehair sticking up off the top of the helmet. And his right hand was on a short sword in a metal and leather sheath while he's holding a battered oblong shield that has seen better times. Describes him as having a cape and sandals, too. So the question is asked, did this guy say anything? He said, it sounded like meant to marry the interviewer questions him and says meant to marry he said yeah interviewer says what does it mean storyteller says nothing for a long time it didn't mean anything to me it turns out that it was latin what the soldier had heard the gladiator say was a phrase that says memento mori what does memento mori mean It simply means, remember to die, is the way he explained it. So here's a man in the 20th century, full 20th century armament, full 20th century combat gear. And he looks up and sees a Roman soldier from centuries past. And all he can say was, remember to die. Was this guy a ghost? Very possibly. I don't know, the man doesn't really know. He said, I saw what I saw, and I heard what I heard, and that's the best I can tell you. So there's a little bit of a ghost story from Vietnam. Many of you will remember the scene in Forrest Gump, where Lieutenant Dan is describing the fact that he had ancestors fall at every major battle that America had fought. And to illustrate the point, the actor Gary Sinise played the characters of great-great-grandfather and grandfather and, you know, uncle and that kind of thing and he expected fully to die in battle. Well, strange things happen, like I said. There was a Deverton Carpenter Cochrane, and he was a Ranger Team leader for the 1st Air Cavalry Division's elite long-range patrol company in 1970. The story goes that during one such patrol in Cambodia, Cochrane's five-man team was ambushed at point-blank range by a North Vietnamese Army unit and Cochrane was seriously wounded in combat, unable to escape. He is still listed officially as missing in action. Ironically, Deverton Carpenter Cochrane was named after a relative, Deverton Carpenter, who served in the South Pacific during World War II and who, while on a long-range mission 30 years earlier, was lost in combat and listed officially as missing in action. Strange enough. Our final story is about a ghost at an unnamed West Coast facility of the Air Force. At this facility, there were B-52 bombers, and each bomber had its own special guard. The guard kept people at least 50 feet away from the each airplane, unless they were supposed to be there. On a fall night full of darkness, the guard on alert Sortie Number no. 3 walked his post by the giant bomber, Aircraft was lit up by stadium lights all around the ramp, but the structure of the huge bomber blocked the light in many areas, creating a lot of shadows. The airman walked the line around the bomber, constantly alert, his eyes sweeping the darkness. It might seem to be a dull job, but Sack did have a lot to prevent boredom from being a player in nuclear security. The young man knew that his movements were being watched by other people, and that those other people were being watched by yet more people. Very, very many layers of security at this job. So he's out on his walk, he's doing what he's supposed to do, he's got his head on a swivel. Well, he registered movement from a shadow, and he rushed to the point of the aircraft boundary, charging his weapon as he ran. Even if it was a test, he must react as if it were the real thing, because the evaluators, would identify themselves before he could use any of that deadly force. But it wasn't a test, and in the control tower, high above the alert area, the next echelon of security was watching banks of television screens. The low-light cameras covered every square inch of the compound, and just to make sure the cameras missed nothing, a guard paced the catwalk outside the tower, watching everything through high-powered binoculars. Suddenly, the attention of these overseers was riveted to the area of sortie number three. The muffled popping coming from that area wouldn't have meant much to an untrained observer. Certainly not the end of the world, but that's how the guardians above the aircraft took it. Sirens went off, men on their radios, security police all over the base all went on high alert. Calls went out to a different part of the airfield which brought a chopper to search the area. All over the base, high-ranking officers were getting calls and they were running for their vehicles. With red lights flashing, they converged. Suddenly, on the radio shots fired shots fired in the alert facility it is safe to say that much like an army was converging on that one spot the senior non-com who was a Vietnam veteran signaled to the forces behind him stay put and he crawled forward undercover to the side of the bomber opposite from where the shots had come from he looked over and saw the guard laying on the ground prone with his rifle at the ready he identified himself said what have you got out there and he tried to do it calmly. He didn't want to startle the heavily armed and obviously frightened airman. The airman called back, I don't, I don't know what I've got, Sarge. Uh, it's out there though, I know it's out there. So the sergeant told him he was coming up to him and when he got there, he asked the boy again, what is it? I said he was right over there, behind the tail of number four. He was on a horse, a big one, a white one. He looked real white too just riding up there on the edge of the pad like this was some dang circus show. All those feathers in his hat. He looked like something out of a history book. I yelled at him and I know he heard me cause he looked right at me, but he didn't halt. He just kept riding behind the other airplane. I think I got him though. I let him have it with about 10 rounds. I must have hit him. The sergeant looked at him and was worried about the young man. He said, you mean to tell me you were shooting at an Indian? A big white Indian with feathers, On a big white horse. Yeah, yeah, I know know it sounds weird, but that's what it was. The sergeant, because the young man was distracted by watching the area for the return of the interloper, had unholstered his sidearm and pointed the barrel of the gun at the head of the young man and said, Give me your gun now. Just move your hands away from the weapon. And just as he said that, he saw movement in the darkness. The horse glided silently from behind the neighboring bomber. It glowed with a reflected light that came from no earthly source. Its rider glowed palely from the same source. The tall Indian turned slowly to regard the two men lying on the concrete. He watched them for a long moment, but no expression crossed his face. Then he raised one hand in a gesture of recognition, usually reserved for fellow warriors. The horse moved forward of its own volition and the pair faded from view. The incident is classified as an accidental discharge of an automatic weapon. The airman was not reprimanded, and what made the fantastic story even more fantastic was the senior sergeant's refusal to say anything about the night in question. As an addendum to this story, a bomber crew was leading a three-ship group of bombers out of the parking area for a night launch. They taxied down the dark strip concrete of the runway and they came abreast of the alert facility and suddenly they froze. They stopped their plane. People were all over the radio trying to find out what was going on and the plane in question said, we've got a malfunction. Asked for maintenance to come out. Apparently they came out and did what they needed to do and then the mission was flown. But When they got back, they were questioned and it said that when questioned unofficially by other crew members, the crew remained adamant about the events of that night. They saw the gauge. The gauge in question, the malfunction, it wasn't working. That was the only reason they had stopped. They didn't stop for some guy on a horse. Some guy who looked like an Indian chief. Some guy who was all white. Some guy who vanished while they were all watching him. No, that's not the way it happened. Just ask the aircraft commander. We only stopped because the gauge was broken. Well, that's about all I can do for this week. I hope you enjoyed the stories. And again, this being Memorial Day weekend, if you know a veteran, tell them thank you. If you have family who served and didn't come home, you have my condolences. But if you are a veteran of that particular war, Vietnam, I want to say to you, welcome home, friend. You did your service. Thank you. As you well know, if you need to contact me, you can contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or at Terry's Mysterious Moments at com. Again, listen on Mondays to Aaron Hunter as he brings out the real paranormal activity of the podcast, listeners' stories about ghostly things, UFOs, whatever. Uh, Tuesday, listen to Aaron Frail on Aaron's Horror Show. Listen to me on Wednesday and... Listen for The Sandman Lullaby with Patrick Sean Jones, and that is as announced. Well, thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.